Ready, set, go! Registration is now open for the Middle States Commission on Higher Education 2023 Annual Conference. It's in Philadelphia, December 4th through 6th, 2023, setting the standard transformation through accreditation. You don't want to miss it. Register now at msche.org. Surprise! We're taking the EdUp Experience podcast to Insights EDU. Join us for an incredible higher education marketing and enrollment management conference February 20th to 22nd in Phoenix, Arizona. Register now at insightsedu.com and use promo code EDUP to save $50 off your registration. Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to add up on the Edup Experience podcast, where we make vacation your business. Dr. Joe Lustio, back with you here on another episode as I continue to do over and over and over, uh, because we can't stop. We literally can't stop interviewing innovative minds in and around higher education today, because there's so much going on. Uh, for for those of you listening to this episode, you probably have. If you work in a traditional type of institution on a academic calendar that we many would consider traditional, you've just started your term, you might be a couple of weeks in, you probably got through residential housing and all the moves you have to make. We call it residential gymnastics, housing gymnastics. You probably uh, got a uh, uh, a lot of feedback on the food service. I'm just, uh, this is actually my life right now. I'm just, but I, I figure other people are living the same life. Got a lot of feedback on food services as people figure out where they're going to eat. Um, there, there's advising that needs to be uh, given to students as they figure out where they're going to go, what time they have to be there. For those of you that have online institutions, you could have uh, students figuring out how to navigate. Uh, and we want to keep the students in higher ed, so retention should be top of mind right now. How are we going to keep the students that we've recruited without them questioning the value of higher education? Uh, it's a question that we have to answer, and uh, that's why this podcast will never stop, uh, is because we always will have to answer that on relevance of a college degree, on uh, relevance of skills, how students are moving through the process, whether they're adult students, working learners, or your traditional student. But I can't give you any answers because I don't stink and know. And so instead, I'm going to bring people here. They're going to give me the answers. Um, and, and I'm going to bring first my guest co-host. You've heard her before. I interviewed her um, when, let's see, I interviewed her and then as a guest. And then she came back as a guest co-host. This might be her second or third time back as a guest co-host. It won't be the last. Ladies and gentlemen, she's Dr. Melody Rose. And she's a principal at Whit Kiefer. Melody, welcome back again to Annette Up Microphone. Thank you, Joe. It's great to be here. Oh, we always love having you. You know that, right? I do know that. You keep asking me to come back, so I think that's a good sign. That That's usually a good sign. Uh, that is usually a good sign. Because then if you were really horrible, I'd have to find some way to not invite you back nicely, which <laughs> that's never a good thing. So uh, no. I'm glad that you're so good on a microphone. Um, Melody, everything I just said, right? You remember those days of uh, students starting, lots of issues as everybody figures out how to navigate. Although we have so much change in higher education, some things remain the same, don't they? They do. Um, we're lucky to have the experience of students every fall and um, both as an administrator and, and now consultant and as a mother of a senior in college. Uh, certainly love that crisp fall air and getting students settled into the term. Is there anything you want to say about Whit Kiefer real fast, Melody, as you, um, how, what your role is there so we can get familiarize our audience? Thank you, Joe. So as you said, I'm a principal at Whit Kiefer in the education market, and my search practice predominantly focuses on roles that I have held, president, chancellor, provost, dean, and we are really committed to growing up and supporting the next generation of leaders at this critical time in higher education, so it's a privilege to do so. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was reading some article. I don't remember who was saying it. It was some, um, or where he was president, but he was a former general or something. And he said one of the hardest jobs, or maybe the hardest job in the country is to be a, a president of a college or university. So we thought we'd bring in another president to tell you how easy, maybe, or how hard the job is. And we're <laughs> going to get rid of the microphone right now. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Sharon Gaber. She's the chancellor of the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. Sharon, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Nice you to know, be it's, uh, First of all, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming. 
um, boy, you get just got a difficult job, right? I mean, you know, there's so much coming out about um, presidents and searches, and it's funny that that, that we've that this whole pairing is happening because presidents are serving less time in their role. I think boards are thinking about how to go about searches for new presidents. You've been in your, you've actually had just great progression. If you go to your LinkedIn and you look, you've been a president at the University of Toledo. You're there for five years. You're in your third year. Uh, University of, uh, of uh, North Carolina at Charlotte, right? My fourth year, yeah. <laughs> fourth year, uh, into your fourth, right? Um, yes. So what, what's the secret? Is this job really, really, really hard? And if, and if so, how the heck do you keep doing it so well? Well, I guess I'd say it's a lot of fun and there are really hard parts. And so you just kind of roll with it and keep thinking and make sure you surround yourself with really talented people and stay open and listen and try to get answers and make progress. So. I mean, it's hard, but it's fun. Tell them like it is. Um, talk to talk to us about um, the University of North Carolina, Charlotte. What do you do and how do you do it? So UNC Charlotte is the urban public research university based in the largest city in North Carolina, 30,300 students. Um, and we are a young university founded in 1946. So we're about 77 years old. We were founded when the founder, Bonnie Cohn, said it would be important to have a place for returned veterans coming back to Charlotte, have a place to get uh, higher education. So it started off as this small night school and grew into this large urban research university. And really, because we are a relatively young university, then we have managed to connect well with the city and grow as the city of Charlotte has grown. And Charlotte, 15th largest city in the US, uh, second largest banking capital in the US. And it's really known for startups and nimbleness. And then you think about the emerging tech industry and we have managed to grow along with that. And so we have, we have the largest, um, largest college of computer science in the state of North Carolina and graduate the most computer scientists. And we fuel the banking industry here with our Belt College of Business. So it's been this great uh, synergistic relationship with the growth of the city and the growth of the university. That is amazing. Um, I've been experimenting with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, Thank you. Know. you. <laughs> uh, but, but it is amazing. Uh, you know, I, one funny, I always, it's fascinating about higher ed. And if you work in it, you understand. And if you don't work in it, you don't. When somebody comes on and says, we're a 70 plus year old institution and we're so young in the space, somebody who's going, that ain't, you know, 77 year old, but in higher ed that's been around for hundreds of years, it really is, right? Um, it really is. It's it's because it takes years and years and years for you to figure yourself out. And then when you hit growth and so on and so on, but it is one of the only industries where you can say something like that, right? Agreed. And again, in, you know, we're a system, the UNC system has 17 institutions. We're a part of this system. So UNC Chapel Hill and North Carolina State and Appalachian State and institutions that have been around for 100 or 200 years. So we are a relatively young startup. And it's been fantastic. We're eight miles outside of the uptown area of Charlotte. And, you know, there was a time when people said we were out in the cow pastures. Now we are connected by light rail and the light rail station terminus is on our campus and students can hop on the light rail and get to Uptown and do their internships and have jobs in Uptown Charlotte, which is really nice. So there's this great connection between the city and the university. Amazing. I, 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 when you talk about the system, see, I, if you're smiling when I hit those buttons, then I'm already winning, but, um, I know it's like shocking, yeah. but, um, uh, you talk about the system and I think melody here being that you were the former, a uh, chancellor of the, uh, Nevada state university system, you probably have some unique questions and perspective. Well, I think, thank you, Joe. I think it is a really interesting thing uh, working within a system and, and having led the system in Nevada as well as the system in Oregon, I really appreciate that those are portfolios of diverse institutions. So I'm curious, Sharon, how you go about um, working within the system with your sister institutions, 
where are there opportunities for coordination or efficiencies because you're a system? Yeah, and I think it's a great question. What I what I've come to recognize is we are obviously geographically distributed and we are I mean in this metro area of nearly 3 million people, we are the only public university around and there are a couple of smaller private institutions, but I'd also say that because we are in this large metro area Almost every university in the state would love to have a piece of the opportunity to be located here. The system has been pretty good about saying, you know, campuses should um, not necessarily encroach in each other's location. Although there are some things that if we're not offering them, they might allow somebody else to come and, and do in our city. Um, I do like that, you know, we're the urban research university. We're not the land grant. We're not the flagship. We recognize what our role is. And we really do focus on how do we assist this metro area. So uh, all of the chancellors, we all meet, we all coordinate. We try not to duplicate, but we all know most schools have a business college, for example. Most campuses have the humanities and the social sciences. Um, but other specialized, for example, we don't have a med school or a law school. Those are at other campuses within the system. And I, I love that balance within a system. It's why I've always been attracted to public university systems, because at their best, you can achieve this sweet spot where there's no duplication. Uh, and so you're using public dollars mindfully and well. Uh, but at the same time, hopefully there are also no gaps so that right. between you, the institutions are covering all the needs of students and employers. Agreed. Do you, do you, is the employer part important right now, uh, Sharon, in, in, in kind of setting your blueprint and ecosystem? Are you working closely with employers at scale? Do you have specific ones that, that you're connected to? How does that work? Yeah, well, and so, I mean, interestingly, I got here during the pandemic. So I arrived in July 2020, and it's a very strange time, difficult to meet people. But I also then was informed that our strategic plan had just expired. And by policy, I needed to go through the process of putting together a strategic plan. I spent time meeting with people virtually on campus, because at that time, people were still uh, you know, working from home, but I also started meeting the business community at that time, a lot of it virtually. And what I heard was our business community wants a top tier research university in Charlotte. And when you start thinking about the largest metro areas in the in the country, really, they had a research university, but they started talking about a top tier research university and it's Charlotte and Jacksonville that sort of didn't have the top tier research universities. And what they said was they were looking beyond us because they want that strong research aspect that comes from a top tier research university. Um, they want our talent and they also want the startup, the spin-off, the spin-offs, the innovation, the entrepreneurs that come out of a top-tier research university. So we've made that part of our strategic plan. We've said that's our goal to move forward into the future. Um, and you know, that's not something that's going to happen overnight. We obviously recognize we put it in a 10-year strategic plan. And whether that's a five to seven year plan. I mean, that's that's what we're working toward. But we also wanted our business community to recognize that's what we're working toward. If you look who is located in Charlotte, Lowe's corporate headquarters, Honeywell corporate headquarters, uh, Truist Bank's corporate headquarters, Bank of America's corporate headquarters, um, Ally Bank is located here. So really, there's sort of the, the finance and then the tech industry. And Lowe's would tell you they consider themselves a tech company because everything they're trying to do is is use technology to help in the home improvement business. And so all of That's those, we have, we have connections with all of those, whether they have connected with a particular 
program, college, the university as a whole, looking for our diverse student population. I mean, most of those companies have made investments uh, within the institution to try to assist our students or our academic programs. You know, um, that's interesting that Lowe's would consider themselves a technology company, but I think that it tells you how everything is moving, right? Mm -hmm. How everything is kind of moving more towards technology. And we talk about AI and we talk about all of those things in higher education. Yes. You've, you've got a lot, and as president, you've got a lot to deal with. Can you talk about some of the challenges right now? Like what's, what's on your mind? What are you always thinking about? You know, when you go to bed and you look at that pad of paper, you do a pad of paper next to you, or some people take notes on their phone. Some people like me, I just turn it off. I can just turn it off and not think. Um, how do you, you know, process everything going on around you? And what are you thinking about? Well, I, I think in North Carolina, the issues of safety and security on college campuses is, is present, particularly after what happened most recently at Chapel Hill. You probably know on our campus in 2019, that was before I was here, there was a shooting on campus um, that has marked this university forever. We lost two students and four students were injured that particular day. So safety and security remains a top priority. I will tell you the state budget in North Carolina was just released. Of course, the fiscal year started uh, July 1, we have not had a state budget, so it was just released today. So uh, money is an issue and it's always an issue. And it's fuzzy math. <laughs> and, and then um, obviously student success and retention and graduation rates. I think lots of institutions are worrying about enrollment. We have been blessed to have strong enrollment. And I, you know, part of that is we're part of a growing metro area. Uh, obviously as demographics change, that becomes part of the question mark. But I, you know, we, we have been lucky. A hundred and like 130 people move to Charlotte every day. So when you start looking at that kind of movement and where, you know, we were all talking earlier about time we've spent in the north and the number of people who are moving to the southern uh, states and the southern cities, that has been beneficial to us. Uh, will that always be there? Probably not. I mean, we have to be realistic and recognize that demographic shifts happen and we can all pay attention to them and we have to. But I tell you, safety, security, money, and making sure that student success is there. Those are the, the highlights that I worry about every single day. Melody. Yeah, Sharon, you know, I'm so curious when, you know, when we went to college, student success meant one thing, right? When we went to college, what students needed from their campus, whether that was around auxiliaries or co-curricular opportunities was one thing. Can you share with us how student needs are different today? And, you know, in thinking about making students successful, what are the components of success on a contemporary university campus? Well, I, I think that's a great question. And we certainly have expanded what that looks like. We have a Center for Health and Well-Being, which has expanded tremendously. Uh, we have recently started a, within that broader area, a center for integrated care. So we have individuals who go to our counseling center. We have individuals who have that sort of need on an ongoing basis that might tie into other sets of problems that we have to manage and assist in the navigation. So I think the, that that broader area we have invested in heavily. And again, go back to the system concept, our system has invested heavily in mental health. This is a priority of every campus in the UNC system. It's a priority on our campus. 
So we've invested there, but the Center for Integrated Care then has taken it a step further by saying we we need case managers, we need individuals who assist students in navigating their way through campus and maybe going beyond mental health needs to help with some of the other life needs. You know, um, boy, you got my wheels turning now, Sharon, because I'm one, mental health is so hard to deal with um, on all levels. I had somebody say to me today, not, uh, not today, yesterday, um, talking to somebody in my network, and they said something like, and I'm paraphrasing, it's very hard to determine what's mental health and what is a doctor's note trying to get somebody out of something that they don't want to pay for or that they don't want to do or a room they don't want to live in. And it's very hard to work through those issues. Do you think, do you think, do you think today's student lacks grit? Are you seeing, do you feel grit on your campus through your students or are we, are we, did we lose some grit? Oh, I tell you, our students are very gritty. So that's, I mean, if you look at the sort of, look at the demographics of our students, it's about a third first generation students, uh, 37 to 40% um, Pell eligible population. We've got uh, 40 some odd percent of diverse student population. So we are, I think we're a really gritty campus. Our students um, come here and many have no role model for what it looks like to have gone to a university and they are coming and succeeding in outstanding ways and going on to do amazing things. So I, I, I have the good fortune of meeting with our students and I do a thing with uh, lunch with the chancellor and meet with student groups and sit down and talk to hear what's going on. And it's, a, it's amazing to hear and it's amazing to hear what they've overcome to be able to come to college and that they see the way this is going to in fact transform their lives. And we have role models of some of our alums who have done that, who have been the first in their family and gone on to, you know, be amazingly successful and give back millions of dollars to the institution because of the success that they've achieved. So I'm I I've heard the the criticism or the concern. I don't see that with our students. I mean, I do know that you'll occasionally hear faculty saying that sort of thing. The world has changed though. And you look at the role of social media and you look at the multiplicity of things coming at students and you just know that the world is different than when I grew up um, and there's so much more coming at them. And it's so much easier to infiltrate a student's daily existence that we in some ways have to provide some of those coping mechanisms because they don't have the world and the life experiences to be able to do that. You know, I'm really, um, I'm smiling because I remember so fondly uh, as a campus president, having the opportunity to sit with students. Um, it's just part of the joy of the job. But I'm curious, um, what do you hear from students that surprises you? Surprise. Or challenges your thinking? Like what what's the word on the street for students these days? Well, I think students still always want and expect more. So I, I mean that and I don't think that surprises me, but I think I heard through my colleagues in the North Carolina system, I heard that North Carolina State added. 50 mental health counselors, 50. So when I heard that number, I thought, I cannot, I can't do that. That's not, that's not a number that I can achieve at this moment. So, you know, those are the sorts of things where I hear things and I think I want to do that. Uh, uh, I mentioned earlier that I am a relatively young institution. I don't have the endowment size of some of the other older institutions. So I don't have the scholarship base that some of the other institutions have. So there are challenges then that present themselves to me and I've got to be able to navigate my way through that. I, you know, we also talked about the relationship with some of the industries locally. 
that's where we've had success is partnering with some of the corporate um, partners in our community to be able to say, here's an opportunity where you can invest and then have access to this talent pipeline that we have and that you all need to, you need to meet these students and you need to see how fantastic they are. And then you need to offer them jobs. So, Should you register for the Middle States Commission on Higher Education annual conference this December 4th through 6th in Philadelphia? 100%. I agree, because the title of the conference is called Setting the Standard, Transformation Through Accreditation. There is no time like the present to explore opportunities in higher education and the future for our students and our business model. Get out and network with your peers this December 4th through 6th at the Middle States Commission on Higher Education annual conference. Attention. Are you ready to elevate your institution's marketing and enrollment strategies? Join the EdUp Experience podcast at the Insights EDU conference, February 20th to 22nd in Phoenix, Arizona. Don't miss out on this opportunity to hear from engaging speakers from industry-leading companies like Google, LinkedIn, Adobe, and higher ed leaders. Learn the latest marketing and enrollment strategies to grow your programs. Register now at insightsedu.com and use promo code Add up to save $50 off your registration. Attention. Thank you. Go ahead. You got another one, Melanie, or I'll, I'll be happy to jump in. I do have another one that's on a different subject. You know, of course, now I work in uh, executive search, as you know, and we're very much focused on impactful leadership. And I think we could agree that the college or university presidency, it's, it's not our grandfather's presidency. And it, the job has changed in fundamental ways. And so I'm really interested to know from your perspective, as a highly successful repeat president, what are the qualities campuses should be looking for, boards should be looking for that make a president successful? Uh, I, uh, well, I think that's an interesting question, and some of that depends upon the campus and what their needs are. I do think I have met a few uh, presidents who come in and say, I've got the answer for you. You know, and, and somebody who comes in and thinks that they have the answer for any campus probably doesn't actually know. I don't think so. What I did as the president at the University of Toledo gave me a set of experiences but Toledo's needs and um, relationships were very different than what UNC Charlotte's needs and relationships are. And the faculty were different and the faculty. So I came in and I had to listen. And, you know, as much as I wasn't excited to put together a strategic plan my first year here, because really I wanted to spend more time listening, it gave me the opportunity to hear from a lot of people and for them to share their perspectives. And, you know, we we sat there and did all of these meetings and Zooms and opportunities to offer comments. We got 13,000 comments as we were putting together the strategic plan. That's a lot of input. People had a lot to say. And when you hear some of that, it helps you to understand. For a new president or chancellor, it helped me understand what do people think of this place? What needs to be assisted with? How can I help have an impact here? And how can I help make sure that I'm shaping it the way that the campus community feels it should be aligned with what the board thinks, right? And so if I came in and said, I have all the answers, trust me, I've got all the answers. I didn't. I, I needed to make sure that I was aligned with the perspectives on, on the ground here. You know, you think about that job, and one of the things that has come up as I've interviewed other presidents, Sharon, is that there are just less people out there that want to be a university president. If you look at your team, your management team, uh, your leadership team, your ecosystem of leaders that you deal with, do you, do you, can you kind of size someone up and I and go, you know what, that person's going to be a good president someday. Is yeah. it, is it, can you see that still? Is it a question now because the job is changing or do you think that it's, it, it's an innate ability to just problem solve that makes it, you know, to a humble problem solving ability that makes somebody a good president? 
uh, I mean, can you I think, size them up that way though. Can you just go, you're going to be a president someday. Yeah, no. And I, I have, and I, I can, and I'm sure that Melody can do that too. in, in the consulting world, but you know, I, I had that opportunity at Toledo. I've had that opportunity here. There are people. And what I know is there's a set of experiences you need to have generally, and you need to have had some ability to do those things over a period of time. Sometimes individuals think that, you know, I, I did this for a year, I'm ready to go ahead and do it. Generally, it's experience and understanding what can be thrown at you. But I, but yes, and you know, there are members on my cabinet, there are members of the cabinet who have said, you know, I'm trying to figure out what, what I might be interested in. What I've realized is, and I've realized this prior to being at Charlotte, my job is to help nurture those who might be interested in this to be able to do that and help lead them and give them opportunities and experiences that would in fact prepare them. I once had a vice president in my last uh, position who said, I can't believe this person wants to take this higher level job. I'm nice. gonna tell her no, right. And I said, no, your job is to assist that individual and prepare that individual, just like I've helped you move forward and give you this opportunity. So I think it's a matter of framing it and recognizing that's part of my job is to help ensure that we do have the next generation of leaders. I see you coming in, Melody. Yeah, I am. I'm, I, I'm just so fascinated, of course, by leadership and what it takes in this current environment with, you know, the median presidency now, um, the years of service declining and, and continuing to do so. Um, of course, it's a, it's a concern. One of the things that I've always wondered is, is why we don't do more internal succession planning within higher education. I mean, I see it now from a corporate lens, um, working where I do. There's a lot of intentionality around growing up the bench. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what stops higher ed in general from that you know, growing our own and what what could we be doing differently as an industry to make sure that there are succession conversations happening? I think that's a an interesting question. You know, so here, um, my interim provost had been a dean of a college and re I recognized her skill set and put her in as the interim provost. And I'm having a set of conversations about what that looks like, you know, as a as a permanent move. I think that works. But what happens is, you know, at some level, there's only one dean of whatever college. There's only one provost. There's only one chancellor. And, you know, and, and individuals move to have opportunities. So higher ed has a little more fluidity than... Um, than many industries or than large complex industries because there's only one of those positions. And so, uh, in, you know, if, if you wanna go from being a Dean to a provost, I mean, I've got all the other deans who are like, well, wait, what about, what about me? You know, then I'm interested nice. also. So I, I do think that's part of the, if I were to take every Dean that was interested, we I, I've got a robust pool who, can be provosts, I think. And so some will leave just because of timing, but we have tried to do, the UNC system has an executive leadership program that we train and take across the system. And it's been nice because for the past two years, they've had a chancellor speak to all of the members in that group who are interested in leadership. And I've had that opportunity for the past two years to say, here's what it is to be a chancellor. Um, I, I think just having leadership opportunities and seeing what that looks like, I, I believe that there are several people uh, that are part of my team that will go on to be provosts and presidents or chancellors because they have that talent. Mm -hmm. And as we know, the pathway to the CEO job has expanded, right? Yeah, right. Um, and we're seeing folks um, come from places other than academic affairs, which is an interesting 
development um, and watching uh, more folks come from CFO roles, from student affairs roles, and from outside the institution, from outside the industry, uh, creates a kind of um, different dynamic, I think, for development of talent. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I think that's right. So, do, so I think that's interesting for higher ed too. Is, is it, you know, um, experiences for for institutions unlike UNC Charlotte? who has experienced enrollment growth, so many are enrollment decline, and you go, does this person, you know, there's, I think there's, a, timing is such an important part, right? Um, the the skill set that you have at the time the institution needs it is an important part of this, uh, this conversation. And I, I get to see that, um, as you do, Melody, across uh, multiple institutions and leaders and um, it is unfortunate, though, that and maybe it's because the president has to be so close to each of the constituents and you look at other businesses and sometimes the CEO is so, so much further away from the customer, you know, that that it creates that lack of maybe not lack of focus, but like, not as much opportunity for the leadership development, because there's always a student in your office or there's always just somebody waiting to meet with you. And it's like, you know, who do you have that's focused on this? So there's so many hats you have to wear, Sharon. Talk about priority. Talk about where UNC Charlotte goes. Do you go 30 to 40,000? Are you stabilizing? You know, how do you prioritize what the future looks like for your institution? Well, I, I mentioned that we are growing. Certainly we anticipate, and of course the economy would play a role in, do we continue to grow? We recognize that's a, a critical factor also. I think that we're prepared to grow at least to 35,000. If it's beyond that, we'll need some inf additional infrastructure and we recognize that. But uh, I think that's the game plan at this point. Now, uh, the economy has, an, has a, an issue and that growth doesn't continue, that we have to think about what that looks like because as with many institutions, Without growth, there are funding uh, needs and budget, budgetary challenges that we recognize also. So uh, at this point, we've been very fortunate. And I will say that not, not all the schools in the system have had that same good fortune. And it happens to be because we are in the largest city. Hmm. Yeah, you, go ahead, Melly. Oh, I was going to ask about innovation, you know, thinking back to how you explained the banking industry in your region and, and how much technology and um, yeah. uh, so I'm, I'm curious what you're hearing from industry and around, for example, non credit bearing instruction and the conversation around short term skills development, particularly in a difficult economy and as a traditional institution, how, how are those conversations evolving and and do you feel the needs of your local industry are, are um, uh, creating a, a, a laboratory for innovation for the institution? Yeah, no, I definitely think that they are. So in 2021, we started a school of professional studies and that really, that, it, within it is our online programming and they have both certificate programs, they have short-term badges and credentials and then degrees, everything from an online MBA to online bachelor's degrees, bachelor's in sociology with a focus in organizations or the RN to BSN, I mean, sort of your standard online degrees also. And we'll continue to do that as we think about what are the needs. I mean, we've mentioned AI as one of those topics that everybody's talking about it. That's something that we've talked about and we're trying to figure out. I have a college of computing and informatics in many, in many universities, computer science is within either an arts and sciences or it's within an engineering. Two chancellors ago, they decided that computer science was so important it should be its own college, which I think is amazing and fantastic. And so we have this college 
And in fact, it's really well connected to the corporate community. So they're thinking then, okay, we do cybersecurity, we have data science, that's a school attached to it, um, but what else? And so that's what we keep innovating and then thinking about what are the things that we have to have to develop and make sure that we're staying on top of. So we have some of the things that you've talked about, but we're consistently thinking about what else needs to be developed. Well, and then, of course, on the other side of that equation, there's the conversation from our colleagues in the humanities and the social sciences around, let's not forget about the liberal arts. So mm -hmm. how, how, how are you managing that conversation? Well, and we have that conversation here as well. And what we know is they are certainly an important part of general education, but we also know the humanities and social sciences are really the fundamental uh, disciplines that lead to legal degrees or lead to sort of writing and thought. And so, uh, you know, we've, it. Got a range of, we've got a range of programs and outstanding uh, leaders that have come out of that college as well. I think we have, uh, we put together something a couple of years ago, something like three U.S. attorneys that have all come out of that college. And we were talking about how we get them together to do uh, a panel for our students. So it should be easy to get three U.S. attorneys together, right? There you go. <laughs> go ahead, Melody. Um, you know, one of the things we haven't talked about yet is athletics. And, you know, gosh, that's a big topic conversation all over the nation. And no matter what conference you're in, no matter what division you're in, athletics are an important part of any campus life. Talk to us a little bit about athletics on your campus and, and how it shows up as part of the university's uh, identity. Yeah, that's a really sort of a timely question. We are a division one athletics program. Up until July 1st of this year, we were in Conference USA. On July 1st, we moved to the American Athletics Conference, which uh, had previously billed itself as the P6. So there's the Power Five. This was the next largest and most profitable athletics conference. We're, oh, excited. Yeah. We're excited to be a part of it. And it includes, it has included SMU, who is now going to join the ACC. It includes Memphis. We play Navy in football. Um, so there's a great mix of schools in this conference. We only started football as a program 10 years ago. So Charlotte had been known as a strong basketball school. And in fact, in the 70s, made it to the uh, final four in basketball. And so was known for that 10 years ago, finally decided to start football. And here we are now in the American Athletics Conference. We're excited about that. We have a brand new coach this year who uh, we hope will be successful. And uh, students are excited. So we've had one win at home and we've had a loss at home. And um, so we'll, we'll see where we go. I think we remain very enthusiastic and the students have all shown up. And what we've learned over time is that at a school like this, athletics helps students feel invested in the campus life and campus culture. Sure. And how about name image likeness? How is that man, how is that working out for all of you? This is uh, lunacy. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that that has been one of those and you you probably know name image likeness is has become part of what it takes to recruit student athletes. Um, we don't have, because our football program has not been around as long, and we don't have that strong of the donor base because we haven't been around as long, we have had a harder time getting the collective 
to have the resources that we might want in a pool for NIL funds. I think with some success, we will get there. Um, you, you probably understand the university cannot go out and fundraise for NIL collectives. Separate entities have to do that. So it is a set of odd um, relationships and we could say we want that to help our students, but we can't necessarily drive it. Yeah, two little known facts. I mean, for, for some people, the the NIL um, f almost forces you to re-recruit all of your recruits annually, Every which year. Yeah. <laughs> bumps up your, your uh, overall athletics expense, which at any institution that has really any athletics program, they don't make money typically. Um, athletics programs are massive. Um, they, they are, we'll, we'll call them student life necessities for D division one, two, three, and AIA programs, but they don't carry profits generally or surplus, depending on whether you come from, you, you have to make that up in tuition and revenue, fundraising, other sources, right? Yeah. And I would say generally, yeah. Um, I mean, generally football and basketball should make money. Mm -hmm. at least in division one um and some of our peers and competitors if you have a stadium that seats fifty thousand people you're making resources from selling tickets now that's a separate issue we we have a very small stadium so we're not making that sort of revenue from selling tickets but that's the general premise i mean i've been at schools that have 80 and 100,000 seat stadiums where that's where the money's coming in. But yeah. you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, Olympic sports are not generating revenues in yeah. general. Yeah, I think a lot of people just sort of expect sports to be there. And right. when you look under the covers, it is a very complex, very um, important conversations to continually have about how you create a good student experience without well, the University of Connecticut, I think, just had, speaking of uh, the AAC, because I think they might be moving to another conference, but they had like a $55 million deficit from their athletics programs. So got to be careful. Um, Melody, any final questions for Sharon before I give her the final two to take us home? No, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate discussing all of these important matters with you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been fun. All right, Sharon. First question, what else do you want to say about UNC Charlotte, open mic, anything you want to say? Well, I, I tell you, it's a great institution with great momentum. And we've talked about some of the things, enrollment strong, research growing. Um, we were excited that, you know, rankings went up and we've just cracked the top 100 in public universities. We're 96 in U.S. Uh, News and World Report for publics. That's exciting. And I, I think that because we are relatively young, that people aren't as familiar with us. And I think that's what we're attempting to do is let people know this university with over 30,000 students is here and we're going to keep moving forward in a great way. Last question. We don't want to tire you. I mean, I could ask you more, but okay. I'll make this one the last Keep going. One. Yeah. <laughs> what do you see crystal ball moment? What do you see for the future of higher education? Yeah, I, I, it's interesting. I think that higher ed, and it's part of what I pride this university on, I think we're going to have to be nimble. I think we have to move in a faster way than we have in the past. And, you know, we'll sort of have these conversations with my cabinet. And I said, okay, now we have to do this in real world time, not university time. And they're kind of like, what? Uh, there was a whole question about how long does it take to get a degree approved? And, you know, here it's through the on-campus processes, the board of trustees, and then we have to go to the system. By the time you add all of that up, it could be more than a year. So we keep talking about moving in in sort of world speed and outside of university time as opposed to university time. And then thinking about being able to pivot and add and subtract as needed. And one of the things we've talked about here is in fact doing less and doing it better. And so we've talked about if you're gonna add, what are you taking away? Because we can't keep adding 
and and do everything well. We've got to make sure that what we're doing, we're doing really well. So how do we make sure that we're effective at that? So those are those are a couple nimble and real world time and doing less but doing it well. Bullseye. I always say to your point, when I go out and I do talks, I say, how long does it take? Yeah. Put anything in the it. Yeah. And does it meet the expectation that we would have as a consumer? Because we like Amazon time and then we come to work and we start to expect or accept that things don't move fast. Right. And unfortunately, our students don't accept that and their parents yes. don't accept that. And I think that's part of the the disconnect as we have individuals come to campus the world has changed in how responsive everything is and yet we're pretty fixed in our approach as to the processes and how we move forward so we're trying to speed that up a little bit and still make sure that we're doing it with input and governance and that we're having the communication that is necessary because i do believe that faculty governance is important and i do know the importance of faculty having input yet we have to keep things moving. Words of wisdom right there, ladies and gentlemen. Before I outro my guest, I just want to let you know again about my amazing, special, fantastic, outstanding guest co-host, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Melody Rose. She is a returning guest co-host, principal, Whitkeeper. Melody, thanks for being here again, and you know you'll be back. Thank you. Uh, if invited, I will return. You're always invited. <laughs> Our guest today, your guest today, her name is Dr. Sharon Gaber. She is Chancellor of the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. Sharon, how was your time on the Edip Experience podcast today? Thank you. It was wonderful. Nice to meet both of you. Thank you it, very much. It was absolutely our pleasure, ladies and gentlemen. You've just had upped. Oh, yeah. The Middle States Commission on Higher Education 2023 Annual Conference is in Philadelphia, December 4th through 6th. Setting the standard, transformation through accreditation. Remember, only you can create transformation through networking, knowledge sharing, opportunity, leadership, service, learning, and accreditation. And you'll do all those things at the Middle States Commission on Higher Education Annual Conference this December 4th through 6th. Can't wait to be there. EdUp will be there. There's going to be over 1,300 attendees, presidents, provosts. The networking opportunities are off the chain. Register now at mshe.org. Oh, yeah. Attention, higher ed marketing and enrollment management professionals. We are taking the EdUp Experience podcast to Insights EDU. Join us at Insights EDU on February 20th to 22nd, 2024 in Phoenix, Arizona. Gain insight into the latest higher education trends and cutting-edge marketing strategies that will take your institution's enrollment to a whole new level. This is your opportunity to connect with higher education leaders and marketing experts from across the country. Comprehensive presentations, engaging panel discussions, and more. Insights EDU will equip you to position your institution for growth. Register now at insightsedu.com and use the code EDUP to save $50 off your registration. Can you afford to miss this conference? I don't think so.